podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the One Short Cricket Podcast, the Sports Gazette's official cricket podcast. I'm Toby, joined by Michael and Ayush. How are you, Michael? Good. Yeah, not looking forward to talking about England, but a crazy weekend, which is, yeah, good to watch. And I'm excited to talk about it. And you, Ayush? Good. I'm very much looking forward to talking about India. Uh, Big win against Pakistan, so yeah, all good. No, indeed, it was a, a big weekend of cricket, a couple big games in there. One of which maybe shouldn't have been a big game, but is now going to be one of our main talking points, I think, with a lacklustre England performance. Uh, but let's start with India versus Pakistan. Pakistan got off to a really good start. They're 150 for two in the 30th over and would have been looking at 300 at that point before a huge collapse left them short of 200. Hassan Ali was the only batter lower than number four to make, to make it to double figures, which really just shows the problems that they felt. Michael, this showed some strength in the Indian bowling attack. Two wickets each shows how rounded they were. Thakur, the only one missing out. I think we knew about that going into the game. You know, the the Indian bowlers are so good. Uh, I think Siraj kind of started slowly against Pakistan, but then he got that wicket. Did he, I think he got his, uh, Babar Azam. He's he did, yeah. Bowled him, yeah, and obviously that's a massive wicket to break up that partnership of him and Rizwan, who... Looked to be set on about yeah 150 for two, and they looked like they were going to push on. Maybe one of them was going to get a century, but they broke through. Absolutely, Ayush. Do you think that India have the most well-rounded attack in this tournament? I think they do. Yeah, I didn't think so earlier, but the last couple of months or so with the Asia Cup, uh, then the short Australia series. Now the, the first few matches here, definitely, they're looking very good. Uh, they've got variety as well, I think. So with Akshar Patel out injured and Ashwin coming in, there was a blessing in disguise in a way with when you see the variety. Because there was two left-arm spinners earlier, now they've got the extra offy as well. Pace bowlers, both of them, I think, are peaking right now in Bumrah and Siraj. And that they've got a more than capable uh, all-rounder in Hardik Pandya with the fast bowling as well. And Shardul Thakur... It's not yet come into the tournament, but we know what he can do. Do you think that he's almost playing as just a no-rounder at this rate? Because he's he's bowling a few overs here and there, but Hardik almost seems to be preferred to him. And obviously he's batting down eight, so doesn't get that much opportunity. Do you think India might maybe move away from him at some point? Or, or do you think that they like him in there as that backup bowler if they really need him? I think they like him, but I've, I always felt that Ashwin and Shardul are going to be, you know the replacements based on the conditions. You go to some of those spinning tracks, maybe a Chennai again, Mumbai, some other places where you think, and gradually going forward in the tournament when almost all the pitches are going to, because of the wear and tear, are going to see spinners come into play. Maybe Ashwin gets more games then, but until then on pitches that have a little bit of pace and bounce, a little bit of pace in them, Shardul Thakur will play. And that's the thing with him. I mean, he, he's not playing that much of a role but there will come a point where one of your other paces three paces including Hardik are off colour they're not doing well and that's when and there's a big partnership going on and that's where he comes in we've seen it over the years where he's, he's famous for breaking those partnerships 
So he's definitely a very useful player to have in there. Yeah, absolutely, he's definitely a man of man of moments in in many ways. Michael, as the the leader of the Babrazam fan club, what happened to this Pakistan batting lineup? I mean, the top four all made runs, and then nothing else after. Yeah, well, like I said uh, earlier, they look to be set with Babrazam and Mohammad Rizwan, and both kind of approaching half centuries. They were looking really good, but then it was just. A, absolute collapse after that and Pakistan have struggled so far in the tournament to be honest with the exception of Rizwan uh, I don't think their batting order has really performed to you know the level that they can and they showed before the tournament I think the game against Australia on Friday is massive for kind of the teams looking to get that fourth spot New Zealand and South Africa looking like the strong favourites for the second and third places and now people asking questions about Abrazam's captaincy was pretty crazy to me, but hopefully he bounces back, has a good innings against Australia. It really does show what the World Cup does to teams. I mean, Joss Butler was one of the most renowned captains before this, as was Babrazam, and now they're both being questioned hugely. Pat Cummins as well, and he's almost being talked about being about dropping himself or something. So it, it could be crazy as to, to what might happen in the rest of this tournament. India then chased down 191 comfortably inside 31 overs. Rohit Sharma scored 86. Ayer also with a half century. And it didn't really look like falling short throughout. Ayush, in the past, India's middle order has often been a bit of a problem, but with Ayer and Rahul both making runs, Hardik being Hardik, uh, this could be one of the strongest middle orders ever, do you think? Definitely. Best that I've seen India have in quite a few years. The number four debate has been such a, such a huge talking point in India uh, for many years now. And 2019 also the World Cup that we saw that, that number four, number five were major sticking points. And going forward in, the, in that tournament, how you know that came into play with the inexperience or players not quite equipped to handle that pressure. Even Rishabh Pant com- comparatively was quite young back then. So, But right now, with the way Ayer is playing, mentioned KL Rahul in form. They've got someone like Surya Kumar Yadav on the bench. Ishan Kishan is sitting out. So if, God forbid, anything happens to guys like Ayer and Rahul or someone like that, look at the replacements you've got as well. That's what, that's what wins you these tournaments, bench strength. To have that kind of support, even if you don't need those players, just you know you have them. And they know that, then they're hungry. That, okay, if we get that chance, we're going to come in and everyone knows what we can do. So... Definitely, middle order is pretty much set. They've not needed Hardik Pandya and Ravindra Jadeja so far. But they will, I'm pretty sure, that's going to come. At some stage, they will. And those two will be ready for the occasion. Oh, 100%. If if and when they are needed, you know, they're just going to stand up and, and dominate, lower down the order. Michael, you slightly brushed over the fact that you said South Africa and New Zealand are going to just casually slot into those two and three. I assume that means India are taking one comfortably for you? Oh yeah, definitely. They've, they've easily looked like the best team by far so far. You know, comfortable wins. Rohit Sharma smashing runs. It, going into the tournament, we knew India had the best players, but they don't look like they're under pressure at home. And all the other kind of big hitters have really struggled. England will get on to Australia, of course, lost their first two, and Pakistan now, and not looking at their best. So yeah, India are firm favourites for the tournament for me now see how South Africa get on against the Netherlands as we're recording this but so far they've looked really good and New Zealand yeah just just a solid decent team you know of consistent players that will 
perform in a World Cup. So, um, yeah, I think my predictions change every week, it feels like, but at the moment it's India top, maybe New Zealand second, South Africa third, and then fourth, Pakistan. Ooh. In such a volatile tournament, it is extremely hard for any of us to really call this. Ayush, it seems like India have taken a leaf out of that 2019 England side, with Sharma just getting off to an absolute flyer every single game so far. He's been cruising along with either Gil or Ishan Kishan alongside him. Do you think that this is something that they've specifically honed in on, or is it just more confidence in the way that Sharma's batting that, that has allowed him to get off to these such great starts? I think more confidence, because he could have done that. Uh, it could have been the template in the build-up to the World Cup as well, but we didn't quite see it. Yeah, Rohit has been more attacking, free uh, of late. And I think it's just that once he got going, got a little bit of confidence in the build-up to the tournament, uh, recent build-up to the tournament, Asia Cup, the Australia Series, and now that 100 against Afghanistan, I think we're going to see more of that from him. He's, that, he's a confidence player because when he is in the kind of form that he's shown the last two matches, he doesn't need time to set in. In the past, we have seen him take his time, get settled in, and you know play that game. But it's I think this is better. Like you said, taking a leaf out of England 2019, that's how at least one of your openers should play. Gil, we know he can attack from the start, but it's fine. He he can also take a little bit of time. Virat Kohli doesn't attack from the start anymore. If you lose an early wicket, he's going to take his time, and you need him to do that because he's your anchor. He's that guy around whom everyone else will play. So I think it's more confidence with Rohit and it's very good to see him play this way because that's when we see actual the actual Rohit Sharma. Do you think that him being captain now rather than back in 2019 when Kohli was in charge has maybe affected it as well? Because obviously when Morgan first came in back in 2015, he really just wanted his players to play in a way and give them freedom and basically said, you're not going to be dropped. You're our opener for the next 20, 30 games. Go and play your way. And obviously Sharma, as captain, can almost say that to himself, knowing he won't drop himself. One thing, again, going back to 2019 and comparing that to how what we've seen in 2023 so far, is that clear definition of roles. Not only for the others, but for himself as well, when it comes to the captain. 2019, that was missing. They made it to the semi-finals. Again, they looked really good. They should have won that tournament as well. But yeah, the New Zealand New Zealand jinx came into play. We'll talk about that later. But yeah, uh, I think that's what was missing in 2019 in this team. was There was still that little bit of confusion with, okay, whose role is what? Who plays the anchor or who attacks from the get-go or who plays what brand of cricket? Now, I think everyone is clear about what they have to do. Rohit has decided, right, I'm going to go for it from the start. I can do that. I'm an attacking player. Virat, Kohli, that's been defined from that, okay, take your time. It doesn't matter because, one, he's capable of picking it up, picking up the pace as he goes along. And second, it's if he plays a long innings, you're almost certain that India is going to chase down any target or put up a big score. So I think clearly defined roles for everyone is what we've been seeing. You guys touched upon it a little bit in the last podcast, but the crowd situation. Yeah. Pakistan coach Mickey Arthur made comments about a very one-sided crowd uh, on Medabad, saying it was more similar to a bilateral series with 130,000 Indian fans 
and the odd Pakistan fan interspersed within. Michael, there's been a huge amount of issues with crowds and ticketing throughout this tournament. Do you think that that's almost taking away from what's been a, a pretty good tournament so far otherwise? Yeah, I think it reduces the excitement a bit. When you compare it to 2019, uh, we seem to fill out the grounds a lot more and it definitely improves the spectacle. Saturday was amazing because you had all these fans in the stadium, you know, 130,000 supposedly, but it was heavily dominated by blue tops. I said in my article, finding a Pakistan shirt or flag was like a needle in a haystack. It was really one-sided and I think one of the Afghanistan coaches actually commented, uh, I think it was a different one to the one you were talking about, but he said it wasn't like an ICC event, it was like a BCCI event. You'd hope further down the tournament that we'll start to see some more balanced grounds, some more balanced crowds either across the games coming up. Especially as well, I mean, there's a high likelihood Pakistan might be playing India in the semi-finals or the final if they make it there which could be very interesting as well. Maybe there might be a few more fans for that. However, Pakistan have still never beaten India, Ayush, in the World Cup. I think that's seven times now. Um, they've gotten close on a couple occasions, but, but realistically, the Indians have been so dominant. They've obviously beaten India in other tournaments. T20 in particular comes to mind. The Asia Cup. Do you think that this is a bit of luck really or do you think that it is just a, a mental side a mental block for the Pakistan team I think there is uh, with T20s yeah they've just even the T20 World Cups they've just won that one game against India that we saw in 2021 in the in the Middle East but with T20s there's more of a likelihood for that luck factor to come in and for <clears throat> anyone to beat anyone on the day even the 2022 famous Virat Kohli innings that we saw at the MCG. That match was, I mean, Pakistan was the better team on that day for, I think, 90% of the match until Virat Kohli's heroics. I think T20 is that one format where on that day the luck a little bit can come in and the momentum can shift so much. The longer you go in the formats as well, 50 overs and then tests, it's that skill, more skill, more strategy more mentality that comes into play and that's why i think they've been in the odi world cups especially they've been uh, struggling against india is because they've just not been able to put an entire match together you saw again the other day they started so well they were attacking uh, i think michael also spoke about Babur and rizwan's partnership with pakistan were looking really good and then they just out of nowhere, they were just confused of how to approach the rest of the innings. That was less than half the job done there. But they just couldn't approach the rest of the innings and then the Indians just took it from there. So I think, yeah, mentality, strategy, a longer format, it it shows what team is made of what. And I think India definitely more superior right now. The other major match over the weekend was Afghanistan shocking England. The first time in their history they've beaten England... It is unbelievable, unthinkable even for this to have happened. No one predicted anything. If anyone had, congratulations. But it was an absolute screamer of a game. Afghanistan got off to an absolute flyer. Gurbaz scoring 80 from 57 with an opening stand of 114. They then began to falter a little bit, but unexpectedly mustered a decent score of 284. Chris Wokes and Sam Curran, Michael, went for a combined 87 from just eight overs. 
They're two of the seam bowling all-rounders in this side, kind of in there for the bowling, kind of for the batting. What sort of happened to them and, and how would you sort of see it going for the rest of the tournament? I think they were just terrible, to be honest. I mean, Chris Wokes, in particular, he's opened the bowling. Every game now, he's just been far too loose with his bowling and they just seem, the opening batsmen just seem to target him. I mean, against New Zealand, I remember Sam Curran opened the bowling well with Chris Wokes and was very economical and got a wicket as well of Will Young. On the other end, Chris Wokes was just getting smashed about and it happened again against Afghanistan. You know, Reese Topley opened well. Chris Wokes comes into bowl and he's just, yeah, as you can see, he's far too many runs. Uh, I feel harsh going for Sam Curran because I feel like he did play well against New Zealand as well. So maybe he just had a bad day at the office against Afghanistan. But yeah, I'm really disappointed in Chris Wokes, especially after the ashes he had in the summer. Like he, was, he came out of that as a bit of a legend for me, you know, a bit of an icon, him and... Uh, Mark Wood were just amazing with the bat and the ball so yeah disappointing I'm not sure where England go now with their all-rounders it's hard to drop Chris Wokes but I mean could they bring Ben Stokes in for him and use him as a bowler there's there's definitely an option of Stoke coming in and I mean you mentioned Wood there and, and Topley both looked good again which seamers do you see playing against South Africa later on in this week do you think that they will drop at least one of Curran or Wokes, or are they going to stay with a similar team and Stokes maybe comes in for Brook? I think, uh, yeah, I think one of the seamers, we will see that change. Curran maybe because he, he struggled so far, but uh, I think maybe he just gets the nod because of being a little bit of a better batter and uh, variety as well a little bit. So Plus he's left arm, so yeah, those things do kind of tend to play on the psyche of the whoever's selecting as well captain coach whoever's driving that discussion but maybe this is the perfect time to bring in a Gus Atkinson release him there I'm sure he's raring to go he's hungry to kind of prove himself over there maybe it could be an opportunity to kind of just let him go and play like he's got nothing to lose I mean I'm not sure but Ben Stokes they've said that before the tournament that he's not going to bowl at all he's playing as a pure batter but because of these bowling woes that we're seeing, will it be kind of, will they now go to Ben Stokes and be like, please give us a few overs? I'd like to see that. If what the discussion is, or is Ben Stokes absolutely not capable with the current fitness situation? Is he absolutely not capable of bowling? Because he's definitely going to come in as soon as he feels better. Now, I don't know if Harry Brook is sitting because... I think it's hard to drop Harry Brook yeah, after that is. innings. You know, he's the only player that came uh, him and Adil Rashid really who came away from that Afghanistan game with positives 66 or 61 balls he looked really good and I can't see any other batters who are likely to get dropped for him you know Livingston's spin is important I think I think Joe Root bowled well as well and also fielded really well against Afghanistan yeah I think you've got to bring Moeen Ali back in I think that would be my ideal replacement for Chris Wokes we saw how effective spin was for us and yeah, for, for Stokes coming back in, is tough. I, if I'm bringing Stokes back in, I'm probably dropping him in place of one of Sam Curran or Chris Wokes. Probably Sam Curran. And I'd possibly even think about dropping the other Wokes for Gus Atkinson and going wholesale changes. I think the way England played their best is generally under pressure. I think you can almost back Livingston to get through his 10 overs of some 
or a majority of those 10 using root for the odd over here and there, especially if it's in spinning conditions. And then saying look, we've then got the seven best batters in this team, the seven best in the tournament, arguably, when they're all on form and almost challenging them to score 400, 500, as we know they can do and as they have done in the past and allowing them, just, just freeing them up a little bit, which I think might help. I think I saw the stat. Johnny Bairstow and Joe Root have been in a successful run chase less recently than John Simpson, the Middlesex wicketkeeper, who was part of the England C team that beat Pakistan 3-0 in COVID. And it just shows that England haven't played enough ODI cricket and especially the sort of the, the all-format players. So I, I'd really like to see them maybe change things up. When, when we were playing 2019, we had Ben Stokes who was our sixth bowler. And arguably, him in England will be as useful as Joe in India, I think. Stokes only averaged about four overs per game. So it's not many. I think Joe Root can comfortably bowl that. And you then have to just back your, your five other bowlers to say, look, you're bowling your 10. We, we, we believe in you. You can do it. And, and go from there. I think Gus Atkinson, maybe you don't draft it necessarily. But I, I think you kind of have, have to go with it. England are one and two right now in a horrible position, needing at least another four, probably five, hopefully more wins from their remaining um, seven matches. That's a lot, a lot for them to get out of it. And I think you have to maybe change things up a bit and, and go from there. The spin dominated on this pitch. 13 of the, of the wickets were from spin and they had a significantly better economy. England's squad selection is very up for question because of it. They picked three left-arm new ball seamers and one frontline spinner. What, Ayush, what were they thinking in that? You're going to India where everyone knows that a lot of the pitches will turn and they picked three of the same bowler, plus Chris Wokes, who's also a new ball bowler. Was this just poor planning from, from England? It doesn't make complete sense whichever way you look at it, right? I mean, there's no way that you can really justify it. Even more surprised that Matthew Mott is behind these decisions as well because you expect a lot better from someone like Matthew Mott as well. We saw how they caught a lot of selections right uh, last year at the T20 World Cup as well, which they ended up winning. So they've lagged that a little bit I from the start. I mean, since Moeen's been sitting out, I've not quite understood that decision to have someone like him out because... He has so much experience playing on these wickets, bowling, batting, everything. He's been a part of a couple title-winning IPL teams as well now. That does add to someone's confidence as well. So, yeah, it's. I think they've just they've wanted to experiment in some ways. They had a certain plan because of which they made these selections. It's just that that plan was probably not going to work at all. It was just a gamble. And they thought of it, okay, it's a gamble. Let's see, if it doesn't work, it could go really bad, but we back our decision. Whatever it was, we don't know, but they're going to have to change it up now. And they have to do it right away, because like you mentioned, potentially have to win every game going going ahead now. Even if they lose one more, then luck will come into it. So they have to make sure that they win everything going forward now. They've got India and South Africa still to play, who are the two informed teams at the moment, plus Pakistan and Australia who are, who are likely going to be vying for that final spot. On the batting front, though, England never really got going. As you mentioned, Michael Brook top scored with 66. No one else passed 33 as England fell for 215 all out in the 40th over. 
they really, really struggled again. We've obviously talked about Stokes possibly coming into it. Do you think that that anyone might, you know, fake an injury or, or oh no, someone tripped over a ball, their ankle's broken, we'll call in Ben Duckett or somewhere like that? Or do you think they have to just stick with these seven, eight batters that they've selected in the squad, Michael? No, I think you've got to stick with them. I think we can't sit here and say that these options aren't good enough. Of course they are. Like We've seen what they can do in the past. It's a confidence thing, a lot of it. You know, Josh Butler, I think he's massively a confidence batter. You know, he got 9 off 18 against Afghanistan. Looked all right against New Zealand, but since then he just hasn't performed and he's a massive player for us in that order. Dawood Milan, Harry Brook, they look good. But away from that, it's just really disappointing. And you'd expect these guys in the middle order, Livingston, Butler, to pile on runs in a game like this. But it just wasn't to be. You've just got to back, back your batters. Bring, bring Stokes in somehow. If it is sacrificing Harry Brook, so be it. You know, you've got to get him in the team. He is the kind of player that will come in and drag us out of this hole. You know, it's not all doom and gloom for us. You know, we, we have the capability to beat India. We can beat Australia. There's uh, positives to look for. You might have to dig deep for those positives at this rate, but uh, there's still a long time left in this tournament, and, and England, if they can find four, will expect to, to qualify for the for the final rounds. They've got South Africa next weekend, which we'll be talking on next week's podcast, who are currently playing in what could be an absolute storm of a game against the Netherlands. They're 52 for four, which is crazy to think about. Um, but we obviously won't know what will happen. By the time the podcast comes out, the game will be over and, and you listeners will, will know what's going on. So we'll move on to Sri Lanka, who had a solid game, but an unfortunate game against Australia. They were 150 for one before collapsing to just 209. Um, they've got quite a young side, Ayush. I mean, Kusal Mendes, who is probably their best player, has only got three list A hundreds. And they haven't really got a side built around it slightly in transition since their sort of Jaya Ward and Asangakara days a few years ago how do you see them is this more of a, a project at the moment and then they'll be looking for the next World Cup or should they really be pushing on at this stage yeah it, I think there's a lot that's you know kind of affecting the morale as well they just lost their captain before this game against Australia ruled out of the tournament Dustin Shanaka uh, and uh, Karuna Ratne is not on the side as well. They were Karuna Ratne, a senior player. So, like you mentioned, it's a young team. Right now, I'm sure that they have no expectation. They have no big expectations out of this World Cup as well. But they, they, they've got to do better than what they did, especially after the start they had. 120 odd for no loss and then losing all your wickets for what, 209, I think, was the final score. So they've definitely got to do better than that. They are missing many big players now with Shanaka gone, Hasaranga miss a huge miss from the start of the tournament itself. Um, the bowling again maybe dependent on one or two guys who are also not quite experienced. Even you see someone like the Batirana or Mahesh Thikshana who's played in these conditions with again CSK as well. You can't rely on them a lot. And there are too many huge gaps in the team. Yes, like I mentioned, they have to do better, but yeah, I think they've they've got to just use this as an opportunity to get these youngsters more experienced the rest of these games and then look at the 2027 project and beyond. Yeah, they've they've definitely got a squad to build from and I, I guess that's going to be Silverwood's long-term goal, really. I mean, they won the Asia Cup 
last year or two years last ago. Year, yeah. um, but that was a T20, I think. So it's obviously like different formats. They might be looking to target the T20 World Cups coming up. But on the other side of side of things, Michael Zampa took a fourfer. Look back at the races finally. Do you think that he might be able to start pushing on from here and, and helping this struggling Australia side? Well, he has to. I think uh, we've seen, you know, Australia, I think you can make comparisons with England in that the spin just, um, there's too much reliance on pace in these conditions. They need to give more overs to spin maybe. Uh, and I think Adam Zampa has looked quite bad in the first two matches before uh, the Sri Lanka game. Um, and he also started the Sri Lanka game quite badly as well. You know, he after that rain break, he picked it up and got a few wickets. But from what I saw, because I, I only actually watched the bit before the rain break, and what I saw, he wasn't very good. So yeah. Oh, fair. So you don't think he's back back there then? He's not uh, not not on top form again. Well, it will it will help his confidence for sure. I and mean, we'll see him bowl a bit better in the next few games. They've got some easier fixtures coming up, I think. So. That will help him out, but they need Ashton Agar, they need Nathan Lyon, they need someone like that who can really carry the spin attack. I don't think he's doing it, to be honest. Big claims, big claims. <laughs> it was then a, another comfortable chase for the Australian side. Mitch Marsh and Josh English with Maiden World Cup 50s. Labuschagne, Maxwell and Stoinis all looked very good as well. They're all slowly getting back into form, I used and sort of it was, a, it was a good win here. They were, they very easily could have could have collapsed and and not gone gotten to the score in such comfortable fashion. Do you think this bodes well for Australia looking forward? Yes, Mitchell Marsh getting a few runs, uh, Josh Inglis as well, Maxwell Stoinis. Yeah, they they batted just a few deliveries at the end to finish things off. But it's good confidence, and these these are the kind of players that they really need to be clicking going forward. I think they've. It seems like now they've figured out that Josh Inglis is their guy going forward, preferred in place of Alex Carey. Fair enough, because Carey wasn't really doing a lot of justice uh, when it came to the batting side of things. Uh, but I don't know, I'm still worried about Steve Smith, Manus Labuschagne 3 and 4. It's not as dynamic as you're used to seeing Australia's number 3, 4 and 5 that we are so used to seeing over the years. Smith and Labuschagne coming in at 3 and 4 is still, I think, a point of worry for me. It's just too similar, both of them. Do you think it would work better if you had Labuschagne opening with Warner and then Marsh coming in at 4, maybe, and building around Steve Smith there? Do you think that would work? That could work. I think that could work. That, that, that's an interesting way to look at it. Because, uh, yeah, nothing against Smith or Manus because they're both quality players. But just coming at the number 3 and 4... Uh, it works in test cricket it doesn't work in 50 over cricket because yeah. on day when uh, you know your openers do get off to good starts and if your number 4 is going to come in maybe after the 30th over or so you're not going to see Manus coming in you'll see Maxwell Stoinis and the others come in but your number 4 has to still be someone who you are com- confident in could even go out after the 35th over and strike it at maybe 120, 130, 140. You see India, I'm sure they're confident of Shreya Sayer doing that because he can do that. It's not just because they're playing in India because he can do that anywhere he plays because he is that dynamic player. I think they're missing that a little bit there, but it's good that these guys are all coming in form for their sake. I think it's a really hard one because obviously Travis Head, who's been such a key player for them for this last cycle, obviously got injured 
just before the World Cup, and meaning Mitch Marsh was then slid in to open the batting, which kind of meant they had to sort of jumble around the lineup. And Labuschagne came in originally as a concussion replacement again, but it'll be interesting to see how maybe they move things around when Heads eventually comes back into the tournament towards the back end of this group stage. Maybe Marsh will slide down to four there, as you suggested, Michael. Or I reckon he might go in at three and Smith down to four, just so that they can sort of keep the aggression on the, at the beginning of an innings. But maybe they have other ideas about how to bat it and, and they might formulate new tactics throughout throughout the tournament. Quick uh, quick shout out for Glenn Maxwell, most economical Australia bowler, bowled 9.3 <laughs> overs, yeah. conceded 36 runs, got a wicket, and he got two sixes and four fours in his 31 runs doing better than Zampa right now yeah well he bowled I mean, better than Zampa well didn't take as many wickets of course but yeah but one game but yeah. I think yeah overall he's been very very surprising for me how good he's been in the first sort of three games of this tournament I kind of expected him to be much more of a part time but like we use him a bit more like a sort of a mix of Joe Root and Liam Livingston sort of bowling six or seven overs every game but he's been so consistent and I'm, I'm completely surprised by it. I thought he'd be struggling throughout this tournament, but he's, he's done well, well in my opinion. Mm-hmm. New Zealand's continue their 100% record against Bangladesh just before the weekend. You guys touched upon it as well last podcast, as I think they were looking fairly comfortable. Um, they chased 245 in 40 overs. Lockie Ferguson took a threefer with Mushfika Rahim scoring 66. Lockie Ferguson has been in pretty poor run of form before this Aish is it good to see him back in the wickets yeah definitely I think I've always been excited to see someone like Lockie Ferguson bowl uh, and he is so good when he gets going he's fit and he's just steaming in someone very important especially with Tim Saudi still out uh, he is a little bit more among the experienced guys uh, their bowling attack is pretty experienced if you see New Zealand they all know how to play at this at this level. With Trent Bolt, of course, the leader. He's always even whoever comes and whoever goes out. Trent Bolt is going to be the leader of this attack as long as he plays for New Zealand. But it's been good to see Lockie Ferguson finding that form again. He's very important for New Zealand going forward. Definitely. And then fifties for Williamson and Mitchell helped continue that hundred percent record for New Zealand. Michael Williamson could be injured again this time his thumb how big a loss do you think that could be for New Zealand or are they just used to it now not having having him in that 11 yeah well it looks like he'll be out until the end of the group stage uh, fractured thumb it's a shame because you know you want to see players like that playing at the World Cup but in their opening two games they definitely coped without him Ratchin Ravindra and Devon Conway in particular were you know amazing against England yeah they definitely got the players to cope We'll just see Will Young slip back into that opening partnership with Conway and Ravindra down to three, I imagine. They might miss his leadership. That might, might, might be a factor. But I think um, uh, Tom Latham, who took the captaincy in his absence, he he was really good. He managed the game really well against England, I think. So, you know, it's a shame. Um, they'll definitely, definitely miss a legend like him. But well, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw them just keep winning, to be honest. It's also been announced earlier this week that the Olympics will be accepting cricket alongside four other sports um, for the 2028 LA Games. This is great news for cricket. We'll touch upon it a bit more next episode when we have some more time uh, on Friday. But thoughts from you guys, good, bad? Massive, I think. Uh, Yeah, it's a move that's been in the pipelines for a while now. It finally is now official, official. 
we knew it a few days ago as well that yeah it was almost done but now the IOC has officially announced cricket into the Olympic Games yeah we'll we'll talk about it more on Friday definitely massive for the sport especially in its uh you know in its bid to glo- go global through the T20 format which we're going to see in the Olympics so huge LA will again they'll work out the chinks in the armor in LA and going ahead Brisbane and then potentially India 2036 we could see real cricket really kicking on do you like this move michael yeah um well it's so it's going to be a T20 men's and women's tournament um do you think we're going to see the star players play as it or is it going to be like a football situation where the young players play and it's not really the stars I'd quite like to see a bit of a mix if if this is the format they're going with I think having one or two big names is going to be crucial to draw in fans but I'd also quite like to see some of the younger guys maybe you have to have quotas on on different ages you can say well you want at least five players under 20 or something like that and and only three with 50 test caps or T20 caps um but personally in the future I really want to see an expansion of the tournament I think there needs to be associate nations within this otherwise you don't really gain the benefit that it should do from being in the Olympics but yeah we'll touch upon this a lot more next episode uh, in just a few days But that is all we have time for. Make sure you guys head to the Sports Gazette website where you can see all of our articles. Michael wrote a really good piece on five things you've learned from the last week of the Cricket World Cup, which will be out every week during the World Cup. Ayush has one coming out later about Canada and their qualification for the T20 World Cup. There should be some stuff about the Olympics. I'm going to hope you'll be doing one about Surrey and their dominance in the county game. But that's all to look forward to over the next few weeks. alongside this podcast of course thank you both for joining me and, and thank you all for for listening to this podcast sports social podcast network